Alrighty, welcome to Brolosophy. And guys, if you are wanting to support the show, Brolosophy, then you can do so by supporting our sponsors. So our sponsors on this show are True Protein. True Protein are a supplement provider in Australia who are really, really great. We've worked with them for a while now. Um, I'm not huge on supplements, so I cycle on and off them. Um, but the only supplements I would use are True Protein. Uh, I remember when True Protein reached out and they actually wanted to partner with us on a giveaway a couple of years ago through AdventureFit. Um, and yeah, I was stoked because if there was one supplement provider in Australia, I've just always uh, that I would use and that I did use and that I would partner with with AdventureFit. It was always True Protein. So really happy that they're um, that they're a partner of ours um, and they've got t- tons of good stuff. So they've got um, protein powders. Weight loss blends, mass gainers, you know, amino acids, everything you could ever want or imagine. And if you want to use True Protein, then you can get 10% off by using our link, and that's at trueprotein.com.au. And the link is bro. So the link is bro, trueprotein.com.au, 10% off. We are also brought to you today by Yeti. So Yeti guys, Yeti are a cooler company from uh, the United States who are making waves now in AU and, and NZ and they have an amazing range. So they've got, um, they're basically just the best cooler brand on the, wor- on the world, in the world, on the planet, in the world. So they've got hard coolers, they've got their famous Tundra cooler. Um, the Tundra cooler comes in many different sizes. So the Tundra cooler is probably their, their most famous product it comes from a 35 liter all the way up to uh what do they got here they've got a bloody 350 liter tundra so literally the best quality um the best quality basically coolers that you can find um they've got soft coolers for you know if you're going kayaking or if you're going hiking and you want to carry a cooler around they got other sorts of drinkware and outdoor gear it's they're just an awesome company. Um, they're all about supporting, you know, um, all of your outdoor spe- specialties, and they're awesome. And I'm stoked that we're able to partner with them. So, to check out their range, head to yeti.com.au/bro. That's yeti.com.au/bro. And lastly, today we are brought to you by Athena. So Athena is basically an outsourcing agency. So we take really incredible people all over the world. So talented people from Argentina, from Venezuela, from Peru, from Sri Lanka, from the Philippines, and we plug them into our clients' businesses. So basically, um, we help small businesses scale and get time back in their life. So every small business has a number of different bits and pieces that they do week to week day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month that are really low value to the, uh, to the bottom line. And instead of having your most skilled, most experienced, most talented people doing those jobs, that's the stuff that you want to outsource and you want to get off your plate so you can focus on the bigger things. And we really help you do that. So if you're a young business and you want to scale your team, get more time back in your life and get more uh, dollars in the bank account and more importantly I guess really help more people like that's why people get into business is to do something good in the world then we can help you so 
Um, if you want 20 hours of our virtual assistance, I hate the word virtual assistant, but for lack of a better term, if you want 20 hours free of virtual assistant services, you can head to athena.co, A-T-H-Y-N-A. So it's Athena with a Y. And in the inquiry box, you can use the code BRO. Athena.co, um, support us and we will support entrepreneurs on both sides of the globe. Here's the show. Now, before we do this, Let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one. No touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, too rare to die. I have a theory that at the moment, the way that the world works is the world is filled with us and them. You know, and we have a number of different things that create that. And religion is one of them, nationalism is is another. You know, sexual preference, blah, blah, whatever. You know, all, all this stuff that we go, hey, I'm me, they suck, they're over there, that's them. Yeah, right. You know, and I feel like the greatest thing that could happen to us as a, as a species that could actually, you know, pull us together would be one, an asteroid rocketing towards yeah, us right, and right, Bruce yeah. Willis and the Armageddon team getting out there yep. and bust, you know, a worldwide effort like that. Okay, yep. facing our own mutual destruction outside of our own destruction, doing it ourselves, to ourselves. And then secondly would be, that would really bring us together. And secondly, and, and more powerfully probably would be alien life, but probably intelligent life. You yeah, know, right. I suppose if we find microbes on, on Mars, I don't think that's going to do anything. But if we found intelligent life and we could prove it, you know, finally we're us and they're them. Yeah. And I feel like apart from the fact that scientifically it would be the greatest, you know, discovery of all time for a multitude of reasons, so, like societally, I feel like it would have the biggest impact that anything could ever have mm-hmm. in the history of, of mankind, really. Yeah, look, I th- I, I'm sort of optimistic and I hope that that would be the case. I think we, um, we would certainly have a, a real sense of us and them and humanity works in a tribal <coughs> nature. I mean, that is deep in our core. Um, and, you know, if our tribe were to encompass the entire planet, I have to think that's a great thing. Mm. That's that's could be the best thing that could happen. So you know that that certainly is a, is an optimistic view of it. Um, we could end up finding ourselves instead uh, looking to the the outsider to these these aliens and um, essentially normalizing that away. And then within you know next week we sort of go back to our divisions mm. because we don't. You know, there's a sort of we. <sighs> I'm trying to think how real this is, but you get, you know, like the London Blitz, right? And there was a great sense. People speak of the the coming together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was facing an external enemy and maybe that was was the case, but pretty quickly it all went back to normal after, right? So, you know, we have to go beyond having an external threat to make us Mm. uh, love one another or to feel at least less animosity to one another. Yeah, that's right, um, actually. That's a good point. So, look, I, I, but humans being what they are, I suspect that that will be our shortcut in our tribal psyche for, you know, 
maybe the next century. Maybe we do get better though. Maybe, mm. maybe artificial intelligence ends up showing us the other and we realize what it is about ourselves that we have in commonality as a, as a, as a species and humanity in creating the alien. And mm. I suspect we'll create an alien intelligence before mm -hmm. we ever find one. Mm -hmm. So I think artificial intelligence will be that. Um, that will be enough for us to say, okay, well, I have more in common with my, my sisters and brothers um, because I've now seen what the other is, truly what the other is. Mm. But, you know, humans are pretty good at, at finding division or creating division um, because that's just how we're hardwired. Mm. Yeah, com competitive because we needed to compete to survive, I guess. Um, it gets back to the molecules. It's, it's, it's all the way back to those initial molecules, right? The sense of replication of, of you know, prioritizing your genes or your inherent structure, that is the fundamental. And our intelligence allows us to ask, to think beyond that, to ask bigger questions, mm -hmm. demand more of ourselves and our biology would allow. But that's not something that... Um, comes for free uh we have to struggle we have to strive for that and very few of us ever achieve i think true enlightenment in that regard i certainly haven't i certainly mm -hmm. don't uh you know i grew up in a country where it was very much the other and i can assure you that you still had fights with your schoolmates even though you were one side of a fence versus the other side right so yeah um you don't postcode wars yes you don't get po <laughs> yeah that's right so you don't have a um, a free pass on um, building a happy world by having an external threat or, or or this alien. Like, we will still have to solve all of our same challenges and problems. Maybe they become slightly easier because we can see that there's this other. But, you know, I suspect that it doesn't, um, it doesn't change that fundamental issue that we've been having for millennia. Essentially, this is as old as humans have been able to think has been this challenge of resolving the other and we haven't done it yet. I don't know how much technology helps us in that. Mm. If anything, arguably, our technology has atomized us to a greater degree. We all have our own individual news feeds. We don't even share the same world anymore. We have mm. our own facts. So that, that worries me a lot. Um, That's an interesting point. So maybe we can't rely on that. Maybe we have to get back a bit more to basics. But I did realize, actually, I, I sort of, I, I spoke about the alien thing as, as being one of the big, questions it's actually not the biggest question for me personally there the two bigger questions saying so i don't matter for now is the um nature of consciousness because that is oh. just fundamentally <laughs> blows my mind i don't know enough about it to speak about it but it killed it just wow um and the other is is what came before the big bang now yeah. is that even a physical question can if, if time arose in the event of the big bang then there really isn't a question to say what came before mm -hmm. it's like what's north of the north pole right mm. you just mm. you've reached the point mm -hmm. so that to me is is a truly stunning question the fact that we can even measure the age of our universe um 13.6 billion years with an error bar that's better than i can measure i can estimate your age mm. that is how is that not something we have tattooed or something? You know, yeah, like, that should right. be a constant reminder yeah, of how audacious yeah. we are as a species. We should be walking down the street going, <laughs> every day. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. It's very impressive. I think, um, I think the problem with what's before the Big Bang is there's, because the power of our human brains combined and all the greats before us and, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants scientifically and all that stuff, there's obviously a process that, well, I believe, there's obviously a process that our brains cannot fathom 
Mm. Because at the moment, I mean, this is probably obviously probably been discussed in your in your areas and, mm. and people that you know that you kick around with. But if you think of time as a linear thing, and here's where it started at the Big Bang. Well, what was before that? Yep. Okay, so you can just keep doing that forever. Mm. That's an unanswerable question because you go, oh, well, what happened with the pinhead is there's a process that that went on for blah 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 blah, blah mm-hmm. and what started that process? Yep. You know, yep. you get you get caught in that in that swings and roundabouts. And, but the thing is, there must be a process that our brains cannot fathom. So I don't know if it's what happened before the Big Bang because mm-hmm. maybe time started at the Big Bang, like you say, but it might be what process do we live under? Mm-hmm. What, how does this work? Mm-hmm. Is time a, a cyclical thing and mm-hmm. we're, we're getting back to the start of the Big Bang? Yep. And we, we don't understand how that, would, how that would work, but there's obviously something that we don't, grasp right now i feel like mm-hmm. um and, and i feel like it's not a when does it start thing it's how does it work thing mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah well we would hope that a fundamental description of of nature and this is t- described as a theory of everything which eluded einstein um that that would have the answer right mm. so that's the process we live under we you know each stage of scientific discovery has allowed us a greater insight into the universe and has allowed us to ask deeper questions and even mm-hmm. more challenging questions, right? Before we realized that general relativity was the correct answer, we could talk about an eternal universe, which avoided then the challenge of, well, what came before this? It was always been like this. Mm-hmm. We know from general relativity that there's no, it's not possible to have an eternal universe, or at least not one that remains visibly the same. It mm-hmm. changes. Stars inexorably pull one another together. We now have dark energy, which is apparently inflating the universe apart um, it's going to look different 10 billion years from now than it did today and certainly 10 billion years ago so we can see that there's a change well you know it's obviously human instinct and we, we did it as you know two-year-old three-year-olds the why 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 and we asked that question then you know of, of well what did it look like at the start and we can get to you know depending on your on your flavor of physics you know we have a an image quite literally an image of of the universe as it was 380,000 years after the Big Bang. That's the cosmic microwave background. For maybe the older listeners when they had their old analog TVs and the aerial was there and you would lose the channel and it would all be a static hiss. About, you know, one in a hundred pixels on your screen was you picking up that afterglow of the Big Bang. So you you were... performing cosmologies you're trying to tune into i'm guessing like hey it's saturday or something in those mm-hmm. days so that was yeah that's not bad and then we can go to nucleosynthesis so the formation of the elements themselves um, about three minutes after the big bang when the universe was so hot and dense as to be the similar conditions to the center of our sun right? mm-hmm. where new elements are forged and we look around and we see the abundances match what we would predict so we can sort of we can see and you know air quotes what the universe was like it was like the center of the sun and then maybe you push the 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 start time back to the energies that we explore at the large hadron collider the atom smasher in cern in geneva and that's not getting us to you know a billionth of a second after the big bang to go much earlier than that takes even higher you know you're talking about a universe of such extraordinary densities, temperatures, energies, that we can't recreate that Mm. on Earth. Now, we have a theory called inflation that, you know, I don't particularly want to get into, but but there's a sense of how the universe could have 
arisen as we see it today, and that's now going to the Planck time, that's 10 to the minus 35 seconds. I mean, that is just an extraordinarily small um, window of time. There is an imprint potentially detectable from that on the universe, and we can call that uh, primordial gravitational waves. About five years ago, we thought we de detected them, and, and we have not. <laughs> we realized it was essentially dirt on the camera lens. It was, it, it was dust in the Milky Way, but it was effectively, effectively on the camera lens. Was Ralph here last night? Ralph said he cleaned last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that was a bit embarrassing. So that was, you know, but then it doesn't answer the question, because, of course, you could always say, well, what came before that, right? Mm. And at some level, Planck time is the that's where that question breaks down. The, mm -hmm. the, if you get to that point, you're, you know, you're with your two-year-old, three-year-old kid, then you know, one, they're a genius because they've got <laughs> to that point. Yeah. But you have to stop. There's just a, a, a fundamental point of it, of it breaking down. And even the theory of everything that alluded Einstein, that quant, the, we talk about the quantization or the quantum meets um, uh, GR, so, so quantized gravity, the description of the small meets the description of the very large in general relativity, that would, that would end. That would have to have as its most um, smallest uh, quantized step would be the Planck because to go smaller than that has no meaning. That's what we suspect, but you know, will we even ever reach that? Who knows? Mm. And it doesn't really, um, it's not clear that would still answer this question of, of our origin, which is what mm. drives, I think, a lot of science or a lot of scientists is the same thing that I think drives a lot of us and, and certainly would drive those amongst us with, you know, a sense of spirituality of, you know, what is my place here? How, what was my origin? Have you ever um, read uh, A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? A what? A Man's Search for Meaning by no, Viktor Frankl. No, I know of Viktor Frankl, yeah. but never heard or read that book. No. Yeah, so in, <clears throat> in A Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl is a psychotherapist, and he's in the um, he's in Auschwitz, I believe, and yep. and, and a couple of other um, um, concentration camps uh, yep. through through the Holocaust. And he talks about um, the the will of the mind to control the body, yeah, and 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 how important hope is, yes. And and they, they he talks about the fact that um, in the concentration camps, everyone had cigarettes, but cigarettes were their currency, yeah. So you would have you know five cigarettes that'd be like having fifty dollars, and you could yep. you know buy rice for them, you could get a new pair of shoes, so on and so forth. And if you'd had a great day or something to celebrate, or maybe a rough day, that that your friends and you would share a cigarette. You know, you'd have a couple yeah. of puffs of a cigarette, and that's yep. how you would use your cigarettes in concentration okay. camps. Okay. But people always had you know five or ten, fifteen cigarettes in their position. Yeah. And he said that every time that he would see a friend in the concentration camps sitting down and smoking a full cigarette, yep. he knew that within 24 hours they would, they would drop dead. Right. And that was because they had given up. That was them signaling, yeah. this is my, I'm giving, I don't need my currency anymore. <laughs> my last cigarette. They, yes. Yeah, they were it's like having no money in a concentration camp and you have, you know, $5 yeah. left. You need that $5 for if you need, you know, whatever to keep yourself alive. They had yeah. nothing. And, when so you know you'd they would see his friends sit down and just smoke two or three cigarettes in a row and then they would know within 24 hours they would drop dead. Interesting. And and that was because they that was them giving up, signalling to them to farewell. Them. Yeah, that was them giving uh, up. Uh, and 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 so your point about the hope thing, you know, the placebo effect is real. You know, the placebo effect is unf it's it's shown in, in double blind studies over and over and over how real the placebo and the nocebo effect. You know, the nocebo the opposite effect of if you go um. Cancer patients uh, that go into rooms that are coloured the same colour as 
um, as the rooms that they had their heaviest treatment in get queasy, um, upset stomachs and feel and their blood pressure goes through the... So, and that's the body going, oh, fuck, I know this feeling, I know this place. And that's all here, starts here. So I find it very interesting what you just said about the, the hope thing. Um, couple of stories on all that stuff. And mm. gee, don't get me started on the placebo stuff because mm. I think a majority of medicine is placebo. Yeah. I really do. I think that what I do with the laughter, a lot of it's placebo. Now, I just don't know how much. Yeah. So we just um, completed a research study with people in a pain management program. And we got some amazing results from that. And of course, what I'm hanging my hat on, I'm saying, oh, the endorphins get released into your body. Our body's natural painkillers, Dr. Craig Hassard from Monash University in his book, The Essence of Health. Endorphins are 100 times more powerful than morphine is Mm -hmm. his quote. Mm -hmm. So I'm going with, yeah, the endorphins did all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I sat down and I thought, or did we just tell them it was going to be good for them and reduce the pain? And did they do it all for themselves? So... Yeah, the placebo, I am right into that at the moment. Michael Mosley, um, I enjoy some of his work, and he did a whole thing on placebo recently where he gave 100 people a, a, a nothing pill but told 50 of them that it was good for them, yeah. and those 50 got better and the other 50 didn't. Yeah. So, yeah, the placebo, and it's all about um, maybe starting with hope. So two other things, um, going back to the concentration camp, story which is an intense one when we were doing our other research study uh, with people undergoing kidney dialysis uh, when we were doing the laughter sessions it's all online uh, for everyone to see there was one gentleman in there who had a tattoo on his forearm it was pretty obvious what that tattoo was from and for why and we had a lot of downtime and I started to talk to him about what was it like in Auschwitz because these are historical stories straight from the mouth of people that were there. So I was fascinated with his story. And I said to him, I said, wow, that must have been the hardest time in your life. And he goes, no, this is. Mm. And I said, why? Why undergoing kidney dialysis? Why is this the hardest time of your life? Mm. He said, I know I'm not going to get out of here. Mm. I'm going, oh, don't do that. I started to cry. I'm going, oh, my God. He said, I always thought I was going to get out of Auschwitz. Mm. He said, but I'm not going to get out of here. And that was so deep and so profound. It just Mm. made me cry. Now, one of the things that happens with people on kidney dialysis, if they don't have the good fortune to have a a replacement kidney, is they will choose to take themselves off the dialysis and subsequently die. Mm. And a significant person was Gurumul Mm -hmm. recently, he was on kidney dialysis and actually took himself off so that he could pass. Mm. So fairly intense. That's a story of one of the gentlemen in there that linked back to the hope mm. and no hope. Mm. But one of the other people that was in there, you looked into their eyes and you could see there was no hope. Yeah, You can just see it in the eyes, Bill. You know, they're just lost yeah. within themselves. And you go, oh, you're gone. Now, over the period of time that we're doing the research <laughs> study and the laughter with these people undergoing kidney dialysis was she started to get a twinkle in her eyes again. She started to light up. And even the people in charge um, said that they were going to take them off suicide watch because they'd lit up. (laughs) And I said to them, I said, what do you mean by lit up? Tell me what lit up means. And they go, we don't know. And what they actually meant was the lights were back on in their eyes. So you take hope away from people, you'll see the lights go off in their eyes, and then there's no hope. That's uh, that's, that's we've gone too deep too quickly. I thought no, we were going to no, have a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. 
I don't think so many people focus on that. Yeah, well, I don't think enough people think about it. Think about happiness. Yeah, I think we do mm. heavily, but I feel like because if we really did, then we wouldn't run our lives the way that we run our lives. Mm. Because mm. if you really, man, you think about it mm. quite a lot, you know, and and I think about the things that I know for a fact that studies have shown that money doesn't buy your happiness. Yeah, of course. But most of the people that work in this office that we're in in the commons, you know, like eighty percent of them would probably work till their, you know, fucking knuckles are bleeding mm. to, you know, reno that house and put a second story on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Put that pool room on the on that second story. So and that's cool, you know, like that's a little bit of you'll get a little bit of a buzz from from, you know, buying things and having money but it doesn't. But the whole world revolves around money, mm. wealth, mm. power. Like that none of that shit matters. So knowing yeah. that, like, do people really covet happiness when we know how to fucking well, we know what doesn't get you there yeah. and we still go through the same motions. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, we, we can become... <clears throat> I mean, it's an addiction though. Like materialism is an addiction. Mm. And, um, you know, I think what we really want in life is just freedom. We just want freedom and the time to do what we actually really enjoy. Mm. Um, but people... That's why people work so hard. It's like, when I have so much money, then I'll be free and then I'll be mm. free. But then the underside of that is by working so hard, then you need the car because you, know, you, you, know, you need to make your life easy. You need the car and then you need the house. And... That keeping up with the Joneses, man, is so fucking real, you know? Mm. And you yeah, said a really good point before. You were like, we know what um, we know what makes us happy. And I was really thinking about that. Well, we know it doesn't make, us ha- doesn't make us happy as well. True, but I think we know what makes us happy as well. Because you look at the happiest people in the world, they dedicate their lives to happiness. The Dalai Lama dedicates his life to happiness. He meditates. He's always... A bit of a weirdo, though. He's a weirdo, <laughs> but he's happy. Yeah, he's happy. Yeah, you yeah. can't fault yeah. him. Can you know? life, though? Be happy, We're a road. not as weird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you have a look at the guy and, and you he's have a look fuck, at... I'll give him that. He's fucking happy. <laughs> Tibetan Buddhist, you know, he's a leader of Tibetan Buddhism, I think. And um, the Tibetan Buddhist school can get pretty esoteric and get pretty crazy. Mm. But if you look at him just from in layman's terms, there is no aspect of him that tries to... Um, be separate from anyone else. In fact, he's gone the other way. So even just the clothes we wear are a, a, a kind of a part of the way we like to want the world to see us. Like, oh, yeah, yeah you know, I have a tattoo, we have a beard, like I'm kind yeah, of this sort of person. Yeah, it's the story of who we are that we tell ourselves. I'm this exactly. alternative, you know, alternative half hipster, don't give a fuck yeah. kind of entrepreneur that doesn't care. Like, you know, yeah. I would never wear a suit because I'm right. trying to prove to people that I don't care. Exactly. I don't like suits. But, that, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. but there is really a part of it that like I... I dress this way for that reason, I guess. Absolutely. Subconsciously, if I really think about it. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, And you look at a monk and the monks go the other way to make sure they don't stand out. I've got torn white jeans on, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Like, yeah. So this is a very extreme example. The other example. way. Actually, kind of, Tommy, Tommy questioned me straight away. As soon as he walked in, he said, basically said to me, you look like a bit of a flog, mate. <laughs> look, to be honest. For lack, like... of a better, lack of a better statement, you were like, oh, white jeans. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Trying to allude to the idea that I don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, he wears a robe. He shaved his head. Um, he, he does, and his life is set up around smiling with people, helping them. Like, we, we know the metrics that make people happier, and that the happier we are. So, there's this thing I read um, in, in a book. Um, it's called, fuck, I can't even remember what it's called anymore. But he was looking at the difference between pleasure and happiness. And a really interesting um, distinction is dopamine is the 
uh, neurotransmitter associated with um, pleasure, which yeah. is that more, 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 and then it actually it actually starts to kill off the receptor sites in the neurons. So you have to have more of a rush to get the same amount of pleasure. So if you watch porn and you have a wank and you come, it's like, okay, cool. That was really good. But more off, like eventually you're going to have to watch harder porn, you know, because you need to get that same rush or whatever it is, yeah. you know. Happiness well, on book, the... Um, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Have okay. you read that? No. Oh, it... Just similar. Similar. similar talks, sort of about, stuff. talks about the difference between... Yeah, it just goes deeply into you know dopamine versus serotonin. Serotonin, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's probably the same shit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. um, and then yeah, the serotonin idea is it the it was um transmitted through the brain to tell primitive animals that they have an available amount of resources. Basically, we have enough. Mm. So when you have serotonin pumping through, you're like, oh, cool, everything you is the way contentness. it needs to be. You have contentment. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. You have mm. contentment and um. I think as hard as it is sometimes because we all have that, you know, fucking beast within that's like, mm. it'd be so good to have a million dollars and have a fucking madhouse. And <sighs> that sort of shit. But then the more you can, the more you can take that time out, which I was saying before, which has been really beneficial for me. I, I found what, you know, at least at this very humble age, what um, makes me happy. And I thought it was that external validation of playing the AFL you know, being CrossFit regional team. And now it's just like laughing with my friends, mm. writing my book, um, spending time with my missus, you know, like all the very cliche shit. Yeah, no, nah, for sure. Mm. But yeah, I think it's funny because... So what happened with this um, Zuckerberg... Uh, what happened when Zuckerberg went to court? Because I remember... I don't know if we spoke about this on the first show that, that we run. I don't think we did talk about any of this stuff, but... I think it was after that, that the Zuckerberg um, y- thing was y- after it. Yeah, yeah. But I remember, um, I remember for example, because I'm, I'm convinced that Facebook... And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm convinced <laughs> that Facebook listened to, our, listened to our conversations. And I'll tell you why. I had a podcast with my friend Ed Morrison... <laughs> And um, I'll tell you why. Uh, we're going to tell you. So you better listen up, brother. We're telling so, you. So right. I'll pass on the message. <laughs> so, um, so we were talking about, um, we're just talking absolute bollocks about whatever in this, this podcast catch up with my mate Ed. And then um, Ed goes, you know what, guys? Have you ever heard about the pink pigs? And I said, the what? He goes, the pink pigs in the Bahamas. Have you heard about the pink pigs in the Bahamas, the swimming pigs? I said, what are you on about, Ed? And anyway, Ed goes on to tell us this really funny story about these pigs in the Bahamas that all these celebrity influencers go and swim with and they bring them over and they've, they've grown their business through using influencer marketing, blah, 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 all this stuff. And he goes, Ed goes, but what I'm bloody worried about is who's putting the sunscreen on these poor bloody pigs? <laughs> anyway, I remember it so well because it was really funny, you know? Yeah, we laughed our heads off. Of course. And then, but I remember the podcast was at 10.45 at night because it was the only time we could catch up with it. Not 10.45, finished at 10.45. And I remember... That night I went straight to bed and the next day, all on my Facebook feed, I was getting served ads for come join the swimming pigs in the Bahamas, the pink pigs. And you hadn't typed it or used keystrokes? No. Had your friend who's spoken about it done a recent post and you'd like that post or he'd seen that you're in your feed because they think that... I'm just... What what I'm doing is I'm playing devil's advocate. I understand that. Right. Could it be that you're connected with this person, he'd put it up there and they know that the things that... We're oh, into friends, friends, there's, there's friends, friends, yeah, of friends. friends of friends. Yeah. So there is, mm. and you know what? Now fuck that. Now wait, no, no, wait, now wait, but wait. But that laughter is the laughter of Sasha, by the way. Yeah, yeah. By the way, <laughs> that's the art of what they do, because all of a sudden there's plausible <clears throat> deniability that they're not listening, because mm. they can say, yeah, but wait a minute, our algorithms, which by the way are a secret, because you're not yeah. allowed to know what they are. I'm yeah. not allowed to know. That's like eating 
cornflakes where you're not allowed to know what the ingredients are. Even if you are. gave them to the government, the government would go, what is this? Right. So there's plausible deniability that they're not listening to your phone. But we know that it, it's capable. What do you think? I don't want to put on a tinfoil hat here. I know. Because I, I actually I don't really like, like technology. Either. Here's what I... Okay. Better than telling you what I think, let me tell you what I know. Okay. What I know that is Facebook and Google and a number of technology companies have said they don't do things and then evidence has shown that they do. Mm. And so if past performance is an indicator of future performance, then we should be suspicious and investigate. Mm. That's better than saying, I think they do it, conspiracy theory. Okay, mm. I know that a number of times I've said, oh, we don't do this and we don't do that and we don't do that. And then it turned out that they did. Okay, so let's just keep digging until we find out the truth. That's yeah. probably a better way, right? Yeah. No, I like That's my way. That's a very nice way I of like saying, they're way. fucking doing it for <laughs> the sure. The pig pigs. <laughs> I've solved the case. <laughs> right? Did you see, like, I mean, I wanted to sound like, you know, I was a rational human being. Shit, I, I tried realized, so hard. I just realised I've got hard. one of these bloody things. Yeah, like, yeah, I should yeah, pull yeah, that on my hand and sit it up. I tried really hard. Look, hey, the history of corporations pretending they don't do things for profit Gee, that's not a short history, is it? Mm. I mean, that's a big book, that one. Let's write mm. that book. Mm. So, yeah, that's you know, right. companies will do what they can get away with for a profit. And, you know, the Facebook stuff, the truth is, is that most of the people in governance don't understand how the technology works. And so it's far easier to get away with something that has hidden elements inside it. You know, there used to be cough medicine that had heroin in it that was for sale in the early 1900s. Mm. Coca-Cola used to have cocaine in it. Mm, mm. Kellogg's and a number of other companies said that we don't want to put nutrition panels or ingredients list on our packaged foods all the way up until the 1960s because they said that that was a trade secret mm. and it was unfair economically to do it. I mean, yeah. that got Sounds sold. like algorithms, doesn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. 100%. They got sold by the FDA and for every industry <clears throat> that's currently regulated and performing semi within the law, there's a regulatory <laughs> body. Right? right. Yeah, yeah. There's no government regulatory body for any of the tech companies that are software based. Yeah. And there won't be in the current way the governments are structured because the amount of time taken for legislation to come out purely because governments are designed to run in gridlock is over 10 years. Mm. Right? So if it takes 10 years to come up with legislation, another 20 years to develop a regulatory body which understands it, which is government timelines, you're 30 years before you even get anywhere. Right? Well, the Roughly. other thing is too is that. Software updates so frequently, right? You know, your yeah. phone wants 17 updates a day, yeah. right? Um, so that's incredibly difficult to regulate against them. You know, you've got a really yeah, you've got a heavier. moving target. Yeah, you've they're got a moving target. It's like, it's, like the drugs, it's like drugs in sport. You know, yeah. new drugs come out that beat the old testing systems. And it's not until five or ten years later that they ca- the testing systems tough. catch I mean, up. Look, but what's the greater implication, implications, though, to them stealing our data? Like, what, why is it got? Why is okay. it the number one thing that's got you fired? Well, I, th- I think for me, privacy and security are really important. We we fought hundreds of years to get it, mm. um, and I think that while we think privacy is not that important, we've been uh, co-opted to believe that your privacy doesn't matter that much. Because look. Sure, they know that I went down to the cafe there, but we can serve you up ads that are more relevant. And mm. Steve, we know that you like shoes. And you know, next time we show you an ad and you like you know, different kinds of shoes, you're a bit of a sneaker freak. Oh, well, wouldn't, wouldn't you pr- rather see an ad for sneakers than caravans? Mm. Do you know, like, yeah, yeah that I makes like that more sense, right? Yeah, yeah that's well, right. I don't know. Mm. I don't know if I like it. But the, the reason that it's a real problem is right now, it might be just serving you up ads. But in the future, what happens when. Everything in our world is tracked. So at the moment, it just tracks behavior. Mm. 
right? Tracks where you go, what you do, who your friends are, things that you like. But what happens in the future when my toilet is a mini laboratory that knows really early that I've got cancer? And I don't know that I've got it, but maybe a company like Google, Google Health, let's call it Google Health, mm. your Google Health partner. And that information gets in the wrong hands and I can't get health insurance. What if, what if, wait a minute, what if... What if it can't cures your cancer? What if, but what, yeah, that, that's right. What if it's so this is where tech utopian, is not good or bad. Utopian so, right, so this, scenario. So tech is not bad or good. It's like fire. Fire mm. can warm your home, cook your food or burn yeah. your house down. Yeah. Right, yeah. It can do any of those things and it's about how you control it. <clears throat> so another example might be they know that my someone in my family had skin cancer and it's highly likely in my family. And from my Apple smartwatch, they know that I'm outside a lot because of the geolocator and the temperature and where I am. But all of my purchases are on the new Facebook Libra, the new Facebook Libra cryptocurrency. And they know that not once have I ever bought sunscreen. Mm. And then I can't get health insurance. This is just one example. What about when a technology company is driving my car? Uh, inside my house and it becomes part of our physical world not just our emotional and social experience mm, so there's, there's, yeah. there's deep considerations no. which I don't think have come yet but what you want to do is have the right benchmarks of laws that happen now before we get there because yeah, no, when you get right. there it's really really hard to wind it back yeah. Right? Exactly, yeah. so agree. that's why I'm concerned about it is because this is just the start of the start we're yeah. only 20 years into this revolution yeah, yeah, dude, that's right. dude this is like we're only 10 years into Facebook really yeah. 20 years into the internet yeah, 10 years into the yeah, data into stuff the, into, the graf- yeah, yeah. into the graphical web and only yeah. 10 years of the smartphone mm. like the car was invented 150 years after the start of the industrial revolution mm. that shows how early we are and already there's massive concerns yeah I never felt pressure to focus on superficial things, I Mm. think. So I sort of try not to get too involved in all of the, I don't know, the stuff that goes on in social media. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? To be honest, it kind of worries me. And I'm not a big fan of social media, to be honest. No, I'm not at all. Um, It can be a really useful tool for for work. And, um, you know, as... if you're a model, it can be helpful because it's a way to sort of have your portfolio. Oh, of course. And, it's huge and, and powerful. Work does yeah. come from it. Um, but yeah, I just, I, to be honest, try not to spend too much time on it. What worries you about it? Just the amount of time, the, the amount of time people spend on it and the emotional attachment that people um, place on it and mm. sort of defining their self-worth by how many followers and likes and mm. there's so many people talking about it these days. I think it's, it's positive that it's becoming more spoken about, but yeah. I think that um, it is hard, you know, if you're on the platform every day and you're spending so much time on it, it really does consume a lot of your mind space. Mm. Um, and I, I've sort of, you know, it's happened to me as well. I feel like sometimes I'll be like, I, I really need to take a step back from this because yeah. it's just getting this is too get, much. This is getting out of hand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I used to get real sad. I had about two or three years there when uh, <laughs> it would get to like the Christmas time and I will just get sad from looking at my social media. Oh, really? Like, proper sad. Why sad? Uh, <laughs> because, <laughs> because uh, um, no, it was mainly, I think it was because of like FOMO, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, because it's like, True. that's the time of year that everyone's having their most amazing time. And it was a particular time where I'm 33 and I've lived probably 33 pretty awesome years. But when I was probably two or three years in the, like 
four years ago to about a year and a half ago with Adventure Fit, I had a really tough time. Like I was down yeah. in the dumps and like I was in the grill, entrepreneurial grill, yeah. you know. It was really it's hard. And, yeah, and it, yeah. It, it beat me down, you know, like yeah. heaps of anxiety and um, right. probably not like big bouts of depression but like so much stress and, and didn't handle it super well. But, um, but yeah, when I was having a bit of a shit run, I would – and it would always be around the Christmas period. I would see like yeah. all my mates and like all people that I hardly even knew like out at parties and festivals yeah. doing this and I was still – seeing my friends and living a normal life but I would go on social media and I would just feel like trash you know I feel shit and yeah it's it's really not a a good thing to fall into I think I it's good if you can just focus on what you're doing and don't really worry too much about what other people are doing and just remember that you've just got to enjoy yourself enjoy your life yeah and if that means that you know you're not you know you're busy working it doesn't mean you can go out as much but to be honest, the people who are going out so much, they might be looking at other people and going, oh, I sh- I'm not as successful as that person. Or, oh, like yeah. Everyone's got something. Yeah, no, nah, for sure. And I, and I, at the time, I, was, I saw all this and I was like, oh, I bloody hate social media. And I would take big breaks from it and so on and so forth. And I still feel very much the same way now. But my last company, I was like part of the problem, you know. Like people would DM me because I ran an yeah. adventure travel company. You know, yeah. we'd take people to Mexico and Thailand and Iceland or whatever and mm. we're like rock climbing and surfing and doing all cool stuff. Yeah, and we had great. photographers and videographers. So It looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. My life was meant to look like yeah. choreographed. It meant to look perfect and amazing yeah. or whatever. And people would DM me all the time like, hey, dude, saw your company. Like, mm. you know, like blah, blah, blah. Like just mm. pumped about. And I, and I would always write back like, hey, man. That's a smoke screen. Like, yeah, what are you, that's just, that's, that's not real life. That's marketing. Exactly. Like, you know, so, um, yeah, I have a big problem with it. Um, although, you know, I still get the endorphin kicks of, you know, going on Instagram and I still chat to my mates on Facebook and whatever, yeah. but I don't think it's really, in the way that it's currently situated, I don't think it's a very positive thing for the world. I think that'll yeah. have to change at some point I in f- some way. I feel like there's there has to be a backlash. Yeah. But I mean, look, I, I personally, have, I don't use it anywhere near as much as I used to. Yeah. And I, I feel that there's a lot of people in the same boat. Mm. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's becoming more of a business tool now. And, yeah. Um, but even that for businesses, from what I've read, it's, it's difficult to get the traction that you used to be able to get yeah well everything will just move facebook it's difficult to get the traction you used to get because everyone's on facebook and then you know mm-hmm. instagram will continue to get more difficult and then tiktok will be pumping or whatever yeah I don't know. That, whatever the next one is <laughs> yeah but i actually get my um i actually get my housemate prashant um he locks me out of my phone Oh really? Yeah. How do you know? Changes your passcode. Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh really? Do you, do you have a, um? Do you have an iPhone? I do. Yeah. Do you have one of the new ones with the um with the time? You can lock yourself out of certain apps or whatever. I don't think I, I've got the iPhone six. I'm a bit. Oh mate, I'm, I'm you're running behind. the ninety four version. I just, yeah, I, <laughs> that's I, like Toy Story one. I really don't. I can't bring myself to buy a new one. So <laughs> yeah, it still fair works. Enough. So. Fair enough. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, there you go. But yeah. um, no, they have the iPhone now has um. It's pretty bad because it sends you a time report right, of like okay. a use of the apps, which is good, but it's like, oh, man. Um, Lightning. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it has a function which is called, um, don't know what it's called. It's like time tracking or something yep. like that. And you can go in and set downtime. You can set like app limits, but I haven't done that. Right. But can a, you override it though? Yeah, can you, you, can, you can override it with a code. But my mate 
Oh, Prashant okay. has the so code. He, okay, yeah, fair enough. That's right. So I was going to say, you got to try and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, oi, Prashant, I need Trick to get yourself. into Instagram. Um, I'll need a hit. I do it sometimes. I'm sitting really? at home, I'm like, oi, yeah. bro, can you just give me a quick... Um, and just he's want like, a, a quick look. 50, yeah. A quick hit, yeah. But, uh, but that actually works great. I actually do it just because... It's not all, you know, Instagram and Facebook or whatever. Like, it's you can lock out certain stuff. I can get into Uber in my bank at any time, yeah. but you can lock out like emails. Yeah. It's Slack and work and yeah. stuff like that. You know, oh, it's, what it's I all like consuming. To, yeah, you literally hours pass. It's like a vortex. Your phone. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite scary. <laughs> yeah, it can yeah. be. Um, but yeah, but as I said, like, you, I think there's people out there that are doing it doing it right. I spoke to my mate Michael Ingus about this. Um, I asked him. He's a psychologist. He was yeah. the um, head sports psych for. North Melbourne Footy Club for a while. Um, I think the Kangaroos, the, the yep. hockey roo Kangaroos, oh, yeah. the girl hockey team. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really good, really good sports psychologist. He owns a clinic in Collingwood called The Mine Room. Um, and he's just a great guy. But he's been on the podcast a couple of times and I asked him about social media and, and so forth. And he said, I said, what do you think will happen? Because I had this theory that um, that there will be potentially maybe warning labels on apps when you, you yeah. know, in like 10 years' time. Sounds wild, but like having well, somebody with no teeth and like their gangrene feet or whatever would have sounded wild to put on cigarette packets exactly. 20 years ago. Exactly. Um, I think you're on the right track there. <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, like, you yeah. know, don't use your phone too much because it'll fuck you up. Like that, a warning before yeah. you get in there. And Just but, a picture of a sad person staring <laughs> yeah. at their phone. This, yeah. this will be you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a bloke crying in his yeah. room. Um, but... Um, yeah, and Michael was like, he's like, no, nah, I think it'll go further than that. I think there'll be a real push for, you know, phones and technology that is safe technology, like happy technology, mm. like a phone that sends emails, texts and phone calls, you know. Oh. He, he said, he goes, look, as a psychologist, he goes, I think it's going to get to a point where it's going to be so bad that, you know, it'll... Well, it's, it all, it's addictive, right? I yeah. Mean, that's, isn't that sort of what they're saying? It's yeah. the endorphin rush that people yeah. get when they get that little bit of sort of valid it's really great isn't it yeah well it can be exactly <laughs> yeah. and then it's and then it's all of a sudden taken away from you and people uh, yeah. go why yeah yeah it's so it's wild stuff i wonder if it'll be yeah i mean it's like an addictive substance really yep that's exactly what it's like what's the biggest risk to you doing well because you, you mentioned about 17 things like saddle sores food sleep animals the, yeah, yeah, conditions hands. Conditions, animals, did you say? Yeah, so like in America, like grizzly bears, <laughs> um, like mountain lions, wolves and stuff. Mountain lions, <laughs> saber tigers, um, <laughs> raptors, you know. Like. Yeah, T-Rexes. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, so the bears was like a real concern. But that's the thing, when you look at the statistics and especially what's just happened the last couple of weeks is like a collision with a car. Even though that there is a risk with bears all the time, quite often the circumstances can be like so the the consequence can be quite catastrophic but like you really need to be mindful all the time with bears so you can't yeah. just have like you can't have half eaten like honey buns or cinnamon rolls in your bag because yeah. bears can sniff like a, a carcass 20 miles away yeah. so like from here to frankston they can smell yeah so you don't want to have stuff that that bears can sniff out and like a guy from texas a few days before he was just camping illegally before the the race had started. Oh right. So and are we bear- talking? Are we talking here mainly with the risk and risk factor with a bear when you're sleeping on the side of the road? Yeah. Not when you're on the bike. Yeah, they won't chase you. Oh, bro, I'm just thinking. <laughs> fucking how quick are these bears? Are they, well, they can run faster than you, but <laughs> yeah, like right. if you get in between a mother and a cub, which you know that is, I don't know if the summer season is when they they do have cubs, I suppose, in that 
in that time of year. Yep. Like if one's aggressive, then you yeah you can be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, right. But when you're sleeping, so it's like when I've gone to Yosemite National Park and you yeah. have to lock all your food up in the bear, bear yep. cages. And they are herbivores too, so they don't eat people for nutrition. But yeah. they can attack you, yeah. Yeah, they can just fuck you up. Well, I suppose mountain lions are kind of the opposite. They do, well, not eat people, but they eat other animals, yeah. Yeah, right. So animal attack is a genuine, genuine yeah. risk. So what, other, what, what are the other, if you were to say, what, what's the thing that slows you down the most, the thing that is the biggest risk? Is it like weather? Sort? Weather. Yeah. In, well, everyone's under the same sky though. So like, Kind of. Well, as oh, a- so if you just got caught in a bad patch, say one week in, you're, because I imagine that, you could be a day ahead, a day behind and still be going Correct. back and forth, right? Okay, cool. So if you just get caught in the wrong weather pattern and you just... Exactly. And okay. it's like... Um, <clears throat> so as, uh, even in Australia, so across the Nullarbor Plain, headwinds. Mm-hmm. So they really slow you up and high temperature. So like you're going through a lot more water to try and get your body temperature oh. down. Um, in America, it was very much... Um, so dealing with snow... Mm-hmm. dealing with like sub-zero temperatures mm-hmm. once you kind of cross over to New Mexico and the elevation drops away it's like bushfires and, and high temperatures so yep. yeah um, if it's really really hot it's not really that wise to push on in the heat of the day so generally a lot of people will try and um, sleep like between like maybe like two and six o'clock when the temperatures are really high providing obviously that you can, for a nap. yeah yeah <laughs> providing that you can get shade and, yeah, like, and then ride in the night yeah ride in the dark but then if you're riding at yeah. night then if you're going through small towns like the shops are closed so it's kind of like a bit of a catch-22 yeah it's another thing that you have to really yeah. strategize around so it's all this yeah and it's kind of just you can plan it to a t as much as you like but generally it never goes to plan and you'll either be well it's very rare that you'll ever be in front of where you want to be but you'll be often be behind mm, interesting you knowing people quite well and people that are close to you coming back from situations like that why is it so difficult with ptsd and you know you look obviously the exposure um that the some of those people in the military on deployment get to situations are things that we would only see in a movie i yeah. suppose yeah. and then we can easily um you know, we know we can we can just sit there and go, oh, you know, it's not real to us because it's on a movie and we're so desensitised now to violence on movies anyway. So, that, so it's not so much of a real thing. But these these guys have seen things that you probably wouldn't even put into a movie. Mm. Um, they've lost mates. Uh, it's... it's um, then they come back over here. They can't talk about those exact situations be, mm. purely because of secrecy stuff as mm. well. Um, so it's hard for them to vent, but they also come in a very male-dominated environment. So mm. not talking about – there's definitely females in defence, but yep. on, in those d- combat roles, there there isn't. Yeah. Um, so you, you're even more in that – it's like a footy club, I suppose, yeah. even more in that male-dominant uh, environment. So for them to show weakness or talk about it makes it even – it's even harder again. Yeah. Um, so I think it's – we Plus, talk no one can relate on the outside world. Nah, that's you right. Know, like you, yep. I, if, I would imagine if one of my mates was telling me the, the, about a terrible war zone and actually what happened in there, it would fuck me up. Yeah. You wouldn't want to really talk about it with, nah, with people. With that's it. C- civilians, I there's, guess. You there's, know? You know, there's things that go on that you, you, 
you wouldn't want civilians to even know because of the judgment as well that those yeah. guys had got. Because unfortunately, in war, things happen. There's two and sides. Th- that's exactly yeah. right. And yeah, so it's um, it's just it's it's a tough place for them to be. For one, seeing it, they're just young blokes. Yeah. You know, they they they. You know, I mean, you can go all the way back to the the world wars oh. where they were literally fifteen and the sixteen year old blokes. boys lying about their age oh. to go away. And being exposed to this sort of stuff, you know, it's it's heavy. It's heavy, yeah. heavy stuff. And um, yeah, and then like you know, like I said, being in that male-dominant environment, it just makes it even harder again. So, yeah. I actually I've had um, since doing a little bit of this FaceTime on on uh, social media, and then talking a little bit more about men's mental health. I've had I've had three military guys one's about to be medically discharged um because of issues to do with it um that have reached out to me that i know um not necessarily not close mates but we're definitely acquaintances that have uh basically just opened up on messages where i'm like wow okay and then i feel like uh, am i really am i qualified to do this Mm. or you know Mm. what because it makes me feel like okay i don't have an answer for this but i know i don't need an answer it's an outlet for them um and i've just tried to guide them in that right into the direction so they can go and get a little bit more help because i mean i feel it's it's humbling for them to contact me when they've not spoken to anyone else about it and then for me to be able to have that input because i know how hard it is for them to come out and and open up about it so yeah it's yeah, sad. no, that's great that you're doing that. We have we've had similar things in the past with the podcast, and it's yeah. I had a guy in New Zealand tell me about the fact that he his wife had, had left him, and he hadn't told anyone, and they were separated in their own house, and the kids didn't know, and none of his family friend. And I had this long, you know, back and forth with this dude because I think people just need someone to talk to, you know. And so, and like, I think that's why. Again, we talked before the show. A third party can often be the best place to start because you're not going to give any judgment if they do. Like you don't know them anyway. You hardly know. You know yeah, not your yeah, that's right. The closest people that you probably care about what they think. Um, so yeah, that's great. I think um, I remember hearing with like um, on different uh, podcasts and bits and pieces, people coming back from military situations, and I could totally see how this would play out. Like I think being in a in a scenario like that, everything's so you have to be in the present. Yep. You know, there's no time to fuck around and worry about, you know, where your bills are getting paid from the next next month and, you know, that girl that you dated on the weekend, whether she likes you or not, like, it's like... Because that's what we thrive for. That's what they talk about is the flow state or whatever, you know, whether it's... I think... I, I went for a surf last Sunday with a buddy of mine and first surf I've had in, like, five years. I bought a new board and so forth, like, a couple of months ago. I want to get back yep. into it. Yep. And I fucking sucked. I looked like a total <laughs> I was just going to ask anyway. My mate's only been surfing, like, three years. He's got this big, dopey, you know, mini mel or whatever. And yeah. he was getting wave after wave after wave. And I've got this little <laughs> short board, you know, thinking I'm, you know, didn't work out that way. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but I actually think about flow state. Two of the things I think are the, the, the best for flow state that I can think of is, like, surfing. Because I was talking to Tim, my mate, about it. He's like, man, you know, because he does high, high, um, high stress currency trading on a day-to-day basis. Yep. Um, and he said, man, when I'm sitting out here talking, I'm thinking about currency. You know, we're chatting and, 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 and I'm, I'm interacting with people. I'm thinking about fucking currency. You know, he goes, but when the wave comes and my eyes hit the peak, currency's out of the window. You know, and I'm, I'm on. It's the only time I'm actually on and I'm, I'm living in the present, really. And I feel like surfing, sex and sport 
you know, they're the th- they're three things that like you can't you can't be having sex and be thinking about you know paying your bills. <laughs> and, and if you are, you should have said. So, yeah. but but being in a war zone is the absolute epitome of that. You know, like you're so laser focused on the present, which in this day and age with all we have going on, you know, there's there's not enough people that are focused on what's going on right now. Yeah. That's when yep. you're in your happiest place. Yep. And I feel like coming back, I feel like that'd be another thing that you know. Being so hyper-focused on the present and being in that flow state is like addictive. Yeah. Um, so well, that. it is. I mean, uh, that, that adre- I mean, you think that it's nearly a constant stream of adrenaline yeah. that they would have in certain situations, yeah. you know, that lasts for you don't even know what yeah, period of right. time. Um, and that's it. And you get that on the daily and then you come back to normal life where it's quiet. There's yeah. nothing happening. Yeah, would, it's definitely hard, hard to integrate back into, I suppose. A lot of the stand-up I was doing at the time wasn't as storytelling yeah. it was more like joke joke, joke yeah which anyone can do yeah for yeah. sure storytelling's way better um my favorite comedian in the world two of my favorite comedians but i was going to say my favorite comedian in the world right now is theo von yep and he just tells stories yeah theo's pretty loose most of which seem most of which seem made up yeah until somehow he manages to back him up on his podcast like they're not no, not no they're, they're real actually made up it's no it's they're real man that dude's a fucking um <laughs> He's a mess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's so great. And then another one of my um oh actually he's a more bit more joke writerish, but also tells really good stories. Is Sebastian Maniscalco? I oh, know he's great. He's also yeah. very physical. Yeah, that's right. He's a performer. Yeah, he's a real yeah. yeah. No, Sebastian was always going to be good. Um, well, it's easy to say that now. We don't know if you know retrospective um, knowledge is 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 always easy. Yeah, yeah. but like. I was watching this just two nights ago. If you're a Sebastian Maniscalco fan, you watch the uh, the 30 Days and 30 Nights with Vince Vaughn, the, the Wild Wild West comedy tour. Oh, yeah. I'll so Vince Vaughn took it. like um, four or five relative unknowns. Sebastian was probably the most unknown mm-hmm. and he that was his first kind of break. Mm-hmm. And he, he didn't kill, yeah. but at least he kept working hard and he, he was... He was on the right map, if you, yeah, know, yeah. you know what I mean. He's heading in the yeah, right direction. For sure. Well, I've heard him talk about... Um, his kind of comedy and his career projection over um, the last however many, 10, 15, 20 years. And because he now sells out. Yeah. He sold out Madison Square yeah. Garden four shows in a row. Yeah. No, it's psychopathic. That like, is yeah. unbelievable. That's Eddie Murphy style. Yeah. You know? Dude, it's and, unbelievable. Yeah. So, because you know, I love stories like that. Theo's the same. I saw Theo in Australia um, last year. And I remember because I was following him th- through, saw him on a Rogan podcast two and a half years ago, stumbled upon his podcast. I was like, this bloke's fucking mm. unbelievable. But even at that stage, like he had no following whatsoever and he's skyrocketing. You know, you just got to get that lucky break, I feel like. What do you think was Theo's lucky break? Oh, you really want to know? Yeah. Joe Rogan. Yeah. Okay. No, no, I didn't know. But like, you would think that. Yes. I, I think so. I think so because he had everything ready to go. He just wasn't really discovered in the right way, I yeah. guess, I feel like. So, yeah. And then anyone that gets their foot in the door with a Rogan podcast, if you're worth your salt, whatever yeah, you're doing... Totally. And, you're not, and then most people aren't really there to promote. They're just there to have a conversation and, and so forth. But yeah. once you get your foot in the door there, if, you're, if people are genuinely... If you've got stuff that people should be interested in, yeah. then totally. you're, you're off and away. I yeah. really believe that. But no, I do 100%. love him. He's, got, he's done all the hard work. 100%. If you're a comedian or a performer and you've got a story to tell and you go on Rogan, Rogan will give you the paddock. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Do you follow AFL? Yeah. There used to be a great um, parlance 
called Pagan's Paddock. Yeah. Uh, you know it? I love, yeah, I love Pagan's Paddock. Yeah. And so that's what they used to do with Wayne, Wayne Carey, the, yep. the king, so to speak. They'd clear the 50-meter arc and they'd just kick it long and, and the paddock was there for Carey. Mm-hmm. That's what Rogan will give you. Yeah. Because he doesn't do a lot. Yeah, that's right. You know, I listen to Rogan and I, I think Rogan's great, but I don't think he's that funny. I, mm-hmm. I think he's, you know, there are so many funnier people, which mm-hmm. is a kind of good scenario for a comedian going into a podcast. You're not competing. Yeah, that's right. Um, so someone like Theo or anyone who goes on that show can can really let loose. And you're doing a fucking podcast for three hours sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Dude, we're going to we're gonna wrap this up in 57 minutes. We're, we're not going to one hour. No, right? no, no, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know how he does it. I listen to them and it takes me like... Two weeks because <laughs> you're like yeah. on, and then like something you just got to fast forward the shitty bits. Well, I go through um, I go through periods where I'm like just devouring them one after the other after the other, and then I go through periods where I'm like I'll see one, and I go three and a half hours ago, not this month. No, I, I'm not. I'm not doing it. So because I reckon um, I actually genuinely think because I was talking to somebody about um, podcasting, and I get asked should I start a podcast from people because they've had podcasts. I mean, I've had a podcast for a while. Yeah, and I always say to them <clears throat> only if you. Want to do it for a hobby, or you have plans to money? Uh, I forgot my point, but I'll tell you what. No, I was no, no. About. You're plans, almost there. Pl- plans, to, yeah. Plans to plans to monetize it through a product that you sell. Yes. Oh, what I'm what I'm trying to say is, I yeah. I tell people you should start a podcast if you really want to do it, but don't really expect to monetize it super uh, well. Totally, especially through sponsorship. You can mon- mon- monetize podcasts through selling your services. Totally. Really well. And the point the point I was trying to get to was. Um, I've listened to because people you know you listen to three hours of someone in your head mm. you fucking trust and like that person yes. you know what I mean which yes. you with a marketing background that's half the battle one yeah and then Rogan Rogan is actually I reckon I've heard I reckon in the last 10 years an aggregate of the, the male voices I've heard inside of my earlobes he dwarfs my father yeah beats my brother mm. and Fucking, he's probably like more than any of my best mates. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> you no, know no. What I dude, mean? dude, that's a wild concept. But that's podcasting. Yeah. And so whether it's Rogan or whoever you're listening to, I try and explain this to like, and I'm sure you've tried to do this too with clients or people who want to sponsor my podcast. I'm like, first of all, I say, do you listen to podcasts? Because mm. if they don't, they don't understand the world mm. that we're living in. Yeah, that's right. This is someone who you're walking around with. This is someone who you trust. They're a part of your routine. Mm. Um. And that's why the uptake from podcasts is so strong because you're actually listening. Mm. So, you know, podcast promo, it's only going to build like mm. exponentially. Mm. Yeah. And it's the realest form of, it's the realest form of content, you know? Yeah. We've, we've been, we've gone through this era of like all of the people that we follow and, and so forth. They're all celebrities that are, you know, the, the Brad Pitts and the Johnny Depps and the Will Smiths, all these guys and like, you know, LeBron James and Tom Brady and all these people that we've held in such high regard. I actually have a real problem with the whole celebrity kind of culture, but this is the best version of it because it's a real... You can't go on Joe Rogan and hide. You can't yeah. pretend that you're somebody else, you know? Yeah, like, man. You can't have a threat. It's, it's just impossible. But that's why I love that because yeah, also, you great, get the storyteller comedians who... Because there are so many comedians who aren't funny. Yeah. And you get them off stage and they can't tell a story because a lot of their routine is rote. Yeah. And it's almost like they're, they're an actor yeah. in their own life. Yeah. So you've got to be naturally funny or have... Um, you've got to at least come from a place of honesty. And from there, we're going to find out whether you're funny and not everyone can do that. Mm. So that's a real... Um, you know, Philip or Feather in the Cap for comedians to, to show everyone, hey, check this out. Mm. It's awesome. Mm. And um, yeah, there's nothing like 
letting people in. And yeah, look, this is like reality TV. It's a r- proper reality TV without yeah. the more editing. More real, more real yeah. than reality TV. Totally. Think of Big Brother. And no, I know, but this is what I'm saying. Without the editing, yeah, without the right. fucking bullshit, or without that's like right. playing a role to win a prize. You know, yeah. and I think so many people in the entertainment game are still playing a role mm. once the lights are on. I know so many 100%. fucking actors who are like pretending to be something they're not mm. just because they reckon that that um, kind of posturing or um, angle as a person, as a demographic will get them more roles. Yeah, for sure. And you couldn't do that really as a comedian. Fuck it's going to be really, that, it's going to be a, a tough slog. Yeah, I'll tell you what's one really interesting thing about that that whole thing you said about, you know, proving that you that you are actually funny. <clears throat> One of the guys we mentioned earlier, Sebastian Maniscalco, have you ever listened to him on a podcast? Yeah. I really like him. Yeah. But his persona, from his on-stage persona and his performance that he puts on, compared to him sitting down, could not be more, you know, yeah. chalk, and, chalk and cheese. And I, I, I just, I was like... I don't really care because when I watch him, I'm like, this is one of the best things I've ever seen. Sure. You know, but he's such a, he's such a reserved, quiet. He even seems shy. It's a really... Well, he's, said, he's already come out and said he's a, you know, introvert, shy yeah, person. But yeah, like, yeah. he's funny because we've already seen him be funny. Mm. If he hadn't, you know, front-loaded our brains with like, we'd like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? You'd be like, who's this bloke? You're like, this guy's not... But like, <laughs> yeah. he's still funny to listen to on the podcast and I love those real conversations yeah no me too I, I, and I think he's a great guy you know, and I don't need to be laughing at everything that that's like Rogan you know yeah. Rogan's, Rogan's I don't think he's funny on his podcast he's witty and he can be funny yeah. but he's just an interesting dude and that's yeah. totally fine by me it was just like Theo I think is an example of someone who's funny 365 days a year 360 degrees yeah. everything about him is ridiculous yeah. and he you know even at his most realist he's just Incredibly he's nuts silly. though. He's nuts because <laughs> yeah. like, I've listened to. Uh, truth be told, I've only listened to Theo recently in the last like two or three weeks because yeah, I wanted gotcha. to listen to like either an interview with Sebastian Maniscalco or mm-hmm. David Spade or someone like that. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, he had Spade on his show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, um, epic storyteller, funny dude. So then I'm listening to Theo, and Theo's funny, but he's got so much to work on, mm. uh, as we all do. You've got to be working to get better and better. But I, I, I think he can be so much better in other areas. But he's great with his unique storytelling and, mm. and he really plays his forehand there. Mm, yeah, yeah, he's unique. He's definitely Yeah, unique. do you know what I mean? Like, um, <clears throat> But I want to see his stand-up. I'd love to see his, more of his stand-up because um, all those guys, they get out a lot. They get out every night and they've got their little crew like yeah. Theo Vaughn's out with... That's um, a solid crew over Dude, there and that's, that makes it so much more fun. Like whenever I'm doing gigs and I'm doing it with buddies, it's... Fucking oh, awesome be because it's it doesn't. Fun. Yeah, because oh, I listen to all their podcasts: Delia, Rogan, Shaw and Callan, Theo Vaughn, and that yep. crew. Because you know Andrew Schultz, the comedian. Yeah, yeah. I don't know him personally, but I'm, yeah. I'm now yeah coming to see aware. He's coming to your yeah. Path, yeah. So I've listened to Andrew Schultz a little bit. He's from New York, and he always talks about how he's fucking spewing. He's not in LA. Oh, really? Because he'd be part of that clip. That their their whole like all that little comedic group. Their whole brands have just built each other's brands. Sure. You know, and just blown blown it all up. Yeah. And it's been... And Tom Segura and, you know, yeah. all those guys to a... They're Rogan's mates to a big degree, but to a lesser with the, the, the other guys. But, um, yeah, I reckon it'd be great fun one, like you said. But it's also great to piggyback off each other and help each other Fuck grow, Because you know? well, you... that's what you would have done a lot coming up through the Nova ranks and stuff, right? Because I was looking on your um, website and, and, and whatever earlier, and I saw, like... You know yourself rubbing shoulders with you know the Ed Cavaliers and the and the um, 
the guys that did the castle, those the, the, the creative team, uh, and working dog, yeah, working dog guys, and Husey and Kate, like yeah. that would have been great because the, the whole Nova and Melbourne comedy community is pretty tight, right? Yeah, like yeah. in a similar way. Definitely, you know, you've got to leverage from people uh, and comedians in different ways. You know, you you leverage um, in knowledge and, and learning, but also in audience. Yeah, for sure. And then you've got to try and parallel those those audience leverages into the, the right platform, which is interesting because a lot of the people who you just mentioned are not on Instagram. I mean, yeah. Husey is, yeah. but the other guys aren't. They're like, no, you're right, yeah. they're way off it. They're barely on Twitter. Well, who am I? That's a deep question, but I, I sure presume you're right. relating to like the work sphere of my existence. Oh, mate, we got plenty of time. Go anywhere. Not, oh. I don't want to know your weirder stuff. You know, yeah. I'm sure there's some stuff that you just leave that out. Yeah, but, you know. that's in the closet. Don't worry, I didn't tend <laughs> yeah. to, to bring that out today. Well, I'll speak professionally um, uh, at this point. So I've been working in the medical cannabis space for about five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, pre-legalization in Australia, by the way, cannabis is medically legal in Australia mm-hmm. as of 2016. I was in my parents' front yard just having a read about some of the cannabis projects that were um, being developed in America. Mm-hmm. And I had an intuition that cannabis would be on the shores of Australia uh, in a short period of time. So. Uh, after thinking about it quite deeply and looking at different ways that I could enter the space, I took the leap and decided to build a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really interesting timing because at that, at that moment, I was exiting a business that I had started. I had kind of lost the passion for that project. Mm-hmm. And some of my friends thought I was crazy to even consider dropping my projects and just moving into cannabis because yep. the perception was that Australia is too conservative which it is. Yeah. However, so much so that it wouldn't introduce cannabis policies or regulations, you know, for another five years. And yep. lo and behold, five months later, uh, legalization in Australia was a reality. Really? Yeah. November. Crazy. It was the 16th of March, 2016. Yep. Where, no, sorry. The 3rd of March, 2016, where, where cannabis was officially. Did you get high that day? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> For medical yeah. use only, of course. Yeah. Uh, uh, sore knee. Uh, yeah, yeah, bum knee. Well, actually, if anything, I would use cannabis for ADHD. Yeah, right. Uh, I, was, I was diagnosed with ADHD as a child. Uh, I was brought up on Ritalin and other um, um, medications that uh, were used to treat ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I have found in my time using cannabis that it can be a potent medicine to treat ADHD. Mm-hmm. And there is research that supports this. It's very minimal research, but research nonetheless. There's a researcher in the UK that conducted a 20-person trial in 2017 mm-hmm. where he used a cannabis formulation of one milligram to THC to one milligram of CBD to treat patients with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And the results were quite promising. The, the increase in, or sorry, the decrease in hyperactivity, inattentiveness, and inhibition was quite notable, mm-hmm. um, almost, comparable, almost comparable to medications like Ritalin, which are common practice for today. So um, even though it's a laugh and we do joke, you know, do you get high? It's, it's the, the medical application of cannabis is quite um, profound. Mm-hmm. And if you would have asked me in 2015 if I thought cannabis had any med- medical application, I would have laughed and yeah. said no. Yeah. Uh, however, fast forward today, it's absolutely profound how deep the plant's medical potential is and the therapeutic application of cannabis. Mm. So it's a very important time that we are entering and uh, it's only going to continue uh, escalating from here. Yeah, for sure. For Companies sure. do know through their engagement and other surveys <laughs> that their people are, you know... Disengaged. Dis- well, uh, disengaged and yeah. struggling a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, you talked about relationships. It's a really funny 
thing. We 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 work in a lot of people work in big organisations with people around them in pods and mm. etc. And feel isolated. Yeah. Because they're just not engaging. It's wild, isn't it? Um, sometimes we've I think we've learnt we haven't we've kind of unlearnt those skills of engagement anyway because yeah. we're kind of texting yeah. and instant messaging but that's not the same as engaging yeah that's right 100 yeah. percent. um i think that's interesting because <clears throat> last night i think there's a huge market for it like you said last night i went to a um, talk by the um, head of growth at koala koala yep. mattresses so they went from you know a little bit of investment early days to now 150 million dollars in revenue uh, yep. per year um, and it, Tim has since um, since moved on to um, start his own venture based venture venture capital based like a uh, brand building company long, long story but anyway yep. what one of the things that he talked about is he talked about the fact that he's basically just a weapon content creator and digital marketer Right. So, so the way that Koala won is they built a brand and they were better marketers than anyone else. They built a brand that people can love yep. and they, through crazy data, yep. um, they, were, they were able to create consistent, um, consistently viral advertising campaigns. Yep. So, and the thing... <coughs> excuse me. One of the things that Tim talked about was he said, someone asked like, how has the, how has the market changed in the last three years in, yep. t- in terms of like digital advertising? And he's like, look, it costs us... 40% more to, to get a customer through Facebook or through Google and so forth. So what we've had to do is we've had to up our lifetime value. So now we create, you know, we, have, we sell couches and chairs and all these other yeah. bits and pieces. So cool, no worries. But the thing is, and what made me think of this specifically from last night, from what you said was, it's getting, it's always in business, particularly in, you know, the digital realm when everyone's acquiring a customer through online channels yep. it's consistently getting harder and harder and harder to make a buck yep. you know Facebook Absolutely. is fa- people yeah, yeah. have priced out of Facebook advertising these days Google is quite difficult you have to be you know pretty 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 good on Google it, you know you can build your own long form stuff your SEO or whatever but one thing that companies can do which as I think which is hopefully where everything is going is you don't have to create you know a, a crazy advertising campaign you don't have to spend a shitload of money on you know Facebook you don't have to build this and that and the other you just have to have a happier team yeah, you know, true, it's going to perform perform better yep. with your the resources and the expenses and so forth in your, inside of your company. Yep. If you can get a three percent increase in productivity through ten percent, you know, better general wellness across the board of your of your team, then you win there. Yeah, yeah. you know, and I think yep. because people are a bit unhappy day to day. I think over over across the board, like. You know, the whole Monday itis shouldn't be a thing. It should be, geez, I'm stoked. I get to go to work today. Yeah, you know, get like, to go do stuff. Ideally, that yeah. would be great, but that's not the position we're in. But no. hopefully, with what you're talking about and, and, you know, a bit of a push towards this, um, yeah, general yeah. wellness, in, in yeah. spe- specifically in corporate, hopefully it's, you know, a new way going forward um, that, yeah, can, we can improve our day-to-day wellness I bit went on a bit of a round yeah, circles there no, no, that's I think right. you get my point no no I, I do get your point and I think that's right I think people are looking because you know happiness and well-being is not an outcome on its own mm-hmm. right so if you think about how how do people really perform at a high level well well-being is important mm-hmm. but then you say when you unpack well-being there are lots of aspects to it yeah right? and the purpose of being well is that you've got enough resources to meet the challenges you've got available or you've yep. got presented to you. Yeah. Right? So the more challenges we've got, you know, we tend to build our resources over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's like uh, if you learn, you know, doing a marathon, 
you know, you, you don't just go day one and run run the marathon. Yeah. You build up over a number of months or weeks, depending on where you're at, where you start at. Mm-hmm. And that's really about building your resilience through yep. a, a kind of s- structured process. But if you unpack well-being, you know, you start to think about things like, well, what are the relationships people have at work? And outside of work, mm-hmm. but, you know, generally you know, there is a work focus. And are they having strong relationships? Are leaders having good relationships with their people or are they just very transactional? Yeah. If they're transactional then you're going to get Monday-itis and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then I think, you know, what, what do people come to work with a certain level of vitality? So are they looking after themselves in a way um, that's going to give them energy and mm-hmm. take them, sustain them through what can be some pretty tough, long days? Yeah. Right? And we're not, they don't need to be, you know, at the elite athlete level kind of nutrition or, or, yeah. or you know, um, fitness, but there is something about it because... People work kind of 40, 50, 60 plus hours and they need to, to be prepared for that, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and then I think um, the one, and you and I spoke this about, this concept of purpose mm. and having a purpose. And then I think one of the things that really is causing people a lot of grief at the moment is uh, this concept of purpose because it's been built out to be my purpose has got to be that I'm going to find... Eradicating world hunger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. world peace. Yeah. Or even worse, in I think it were, is I'm going to identify the next unicorn and I'm going to retire and yeah. I'm going to have, you know, someone's going to buy it out for a billion dollars. Yeah. And if I can't do that, then there must be something wrong with me. Yeah. You know, as so I think there's that, there's a lot of that going on. Or yeah. if I'm not, if I'm not, you know, substantially promoted in the next two years, starting as a grad, then there must be something wrong with me. Yeah. Or, I'm, or I'm in the wrong company. Or, yeah. And, but I think a combination of those things really throws people out and yeah. understanding that a little bit and understanding themselves a little bit in that yeah. realm. Yeah. Um, I've heard you talk about you went into bodybuilding. Did it, did it go from, okay, I don't want to be the fat kid, but sorry, I don't want to be the fat kid, so I'm going to be the big jacked kid and that's mm. going to make me happy and that's 100%. going to be everything that I ever wanted. Exactly. exactly. And then what happened when you got there? Well, I was just a bigger, more insecure fuckwit. <laughs> yeah. I was still a fuckwit. Yeah. Yeah. I was still an insecure fuckwit. <laughs> I was a bit taller with more mass. So I did the running thing mm-hmm. and uh, I ended up, well, this is how dumb I was, honestly, or this is how insecure and unhinged I was. So probably by the time I was 15, 16, I was running every day of the year, 365 days of the year. Jeez. I was lifting weights, but also yeah. running. Mm-hmm. But I was addicted to running. Yeah. I was addicted to training because when I trained, I looked a certain way. And when I looked a certain way, I got approval. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you're insecure, you want approval. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I started doing more weights, less running, more weights, less running as I started to, as testosterone kicks in. And then by the time I was... Um, you know, 21, 22, that was like my life revolved around being big yeah. and being, you know, I was working in gyms, but all I did was eat fucking chickens and eggs and lift heavy shit and go mm-hmm. to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, obviously training is good. Exercise is good. Uh, eating well is good. Managing your body is good. But there's also an element that or there's a line, I guess, where you go, all right, this is good, this is healthy, this is sensible. There's the line, now this is ridiculous, now I'm obsessed, yeah. this is compulsive, this is irrational. Now I'm getting my entire sense of self and self-esteem from how I look or how yeah, big I right. am. And, and you know, I woke up one day, I, I was living with a guy, um, shout out, his name's Dave, and 
he was a surfy, didn't give a shit about any of this, didn't understand bodybuilding or bodybuilders, <laughs> thought it was stupid. Surfers what, never really do, do they? They just quite look at you and go, mate, you are a He's like, you're a fucking unit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He goes, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I grew up on the Moines Peninsula and some of my mates would see me go to the gym and they're like, mate, you're a flog. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, well I, I was a flog though. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so probably still am, some people would contend. <laughs> um, so he... he um, one day, one night, it was a weekend, we were going out, uh, we're heading out to, I don't know, a part, I don't know, something, function, whatever. And I was in the bathroom and just getting ready, had on a pair of jeans. I was about, you know, this fucking full house, 100 kilos, veins and shit everywhere. And um, <laughs> he walks down, he's walking, he's talking to me from the next room and then he's saying something then he walks into the bathroom and I'm standing in there in pair of jeans and no shirt and I'm shaving and this will be no good for the audio only people but I'm shaving like this where I've got my arms and because my arms and everything are so fucking stupidly big I can hardly shave and I've got no flexibility (laughs) and and he just looked at me and goes what is wrong with you and I go what like because he hadn't seen me with a shirt off for a long time he goes you know you look fucking stupid yeah I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, do you trust me? I'm like, yeah, of course. He goes, look at me. I go, what? He goes, you've lost your shit. I'm like, what? <laughs> and he was like the fucking, the voice of reason that yeah, my insecurity right. didn't want to turn up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you look, what, how big do you want to be? Yeah. Like how what? uncomfortable do you want yeah. to be shaving, and then, and shaving then what? your face? In and the then morning. what? You know, then, yeah. okay, so yeah. now you're two more kilos of muscle. Now four, now why? And I didn't compete. Yeah. You know, so that that was, you know, that was one of those, and I remember that conversation and that was just one of those moments in time where, you know, so over another time. another one of those checkpoints that you remember where 100%. your life took a bit of a, a, bit of a, a different route, I feel like. Is that yeah, right? and, yeah. I, and I started to become more introspective and reflective and think about my internal world, not just my external, what people didn't mm-hmm. see. Because mm-hmm. we're so obsessed with what people think of us and what people see, and we're so obsessed with belonging to a tribe or a group Mm-hmm. that it's really easy to uh, do a su- disservice to our own kind of value system and our mm-hmm. because I want to belong so much that I'll do whatever I need to do to belong. Yeah. I um, actually think, so I've had, through this podcast, um, I've had over the last number of years, I didn't go this year, but I've had uh, media passes always to the Arnold and to the FitEx yeah. and the Health and Fitness Expo and so forth. And I walk in there every single time and I go, I just walk, it makes me feel very, very uncomfortable, that, mm-hmm. that vibe. I walk in, and I look around and I see the figure models and so forth that are, you know, chocolate body, um, eating their, you know, yeah, yeah, banana yeah. or cake before they can get their veins pumping. Then I see the bodybuilders who, who can't walk through the door and who look yeah. ridiculous in my opinion. Yeah. Then I see the powerlifters who I think are nearly the fittest people there, big, yeah. but they're like overeating, big and fat and whatever. I walk in and I go, every time I walk into this joint, I go, what the fuck about this joint is health and yeah. fitness? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is the, this is the, um, the, the extreme expo. You know, this is the extremes of, of body and soul expo, basically. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I, th- I, I totally understand where you're, look, where you're at. In this I, point, I you think know? there's a way to do it um, that is healthy. But uh, to your point, I think a lot of people don't. Yeah. Right. And especially when you start throwing uh, chemicals into the mix and all mm. of that stuff and steroids and whatever. Mm. I'm very, I'm very... I love anything that gets people fired up. Like I'm all for, you know, I, lo- I love technology. Um, I love the internet, but I hate social media. You know, I think it's a really, it's, it's, 
hugely detrimental to us as a society. I believe that. And maybe that's just because it's the real, um, uh, I guess, 15 minutes of fame of other people's lives and influences and, you know, yeah. fake boobs and fake booties and guys with big muscles. You know, that yeah. kind of, that's what's making people feel like they're less than. You know, I think that is yeah. a big part of it. But I think another big part of it is the fact that it is stealing our time away, stealing our attention. You know, I really yep. feel like that's that's a big part of it. Is there any... Um, I'm sure they've done studies and I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure if you know of them or, or if you have any feedback, but there's a huge rise in the mental health... In There's a mental health epidemic going on effectively. And mm. a lot of people blame social media. But along the same time... You, um, I'm not being very eloquent today. I keep messing up my words. <laughs> That's all right. Um, but um, so along the same timeline though was the rise of esports. Mm. So is there a correlation between esports you think and a rise in mental health um, issues? I don't. I don't think so because I, I haven't. I don't have any studies obviously mm. about this, but some anecdotal evidence. So for example, people who go to school and don't feel part of a friendship group because they don't enjoy the same things that other people enjoy. Mm -hmm. So a direct example is some people I know who run a university group were kind of given this girl by the psych staff at at the university. And they Mm -hmm. said, look, she doesn't really have any friends. She doesn't feel like she fits in with anyone. No one has any similar things. And she's too scared to talk to anyone, lecturers, um, her other students, anyone like that. Mm -hmm. And it turns out she was a massive World of Warcraft fan. And so was so many people that were in that group. So they pass it to the group. She kept coming back every single week because she could talk about something that she actually liked, which was Water Warcraft. Mm-hmm. And then she came out of her shell because of that. She found other people that had similar likeness to them. Another example for me is Gigi Easy Bar on 99 Queen Street here. Mm-hmm. It's an esports bar. So mm-hmm. it's a sports bar, the same way that you might see rugby AFL on all the screens. It's just got games on all of the mm-hmm. screens. There's not really any computers to play, any consoles to play. It's just about going there. They've got great quality like Japanese, Australian fusion food as well. Yeah, cool. It's fantastic. Makes it easy to recommend. Mm-hmm. And good drinks and well, well-priced. But mm-hmm. for them too, for me, I've never enjoyed a sports bar because it's not my scene at yep. all. I don't get along with that with that bloke a bloke aspect, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the same way that these people have preconceived ideas about gamers, gamers have preconceived ideas at sports bars where you go to drink VB and punch each other in the head. <laughs> so I feel very at home at GG Easy Bar because I just talk the same language basically as everyone yeah. else there. I'm watching different games on the screens. There's other evidence around high school esports. It's been a very big thing in Australia and especially overseas. Mm. Um, with the company PlayVS who's raised... What is it today? Like 100 to 150 mil USD today mm-hmm. in capital in total, um, and they and and that too has helped people actually go to school because the the very simple argument um, that I can make for that is my friends used to skip school a lot to stay home and play games for seven hours that day. Mm-hmm. Would you rather them do that, or would you rather them come to school for six hours and then play games for one hour of it? because at least then they're getting six hours of schooling. And what they can see is that there's a lot of positive peer pressure based around that too, where these high school leagues have the teachers and the principal obviously know that the league's happening, but it's quite often primarily an after-school activity. But if they're not participating in school, if they're not turning up, they're not handing in their assignments, they can be banned from the league. They can be given a hiatus from a few games. So there's a lot of positive peer pressure then of the four other mates saying, Oi, come to school because we're about to be kicked out of the tournament because you simply don't <laughs> want to turn up because you want to stay home and play games. Yeah. So you're getting people active. So once again, it's, it's giving... It's, it's, the way I see it is, is you're giving 
people what they want, but it's because you need to spin it in a social way. There needs to be something behind it. The same way that we're saying that if you want to promote these um, healthy eating alternative companies, you need to use the same kind of vehicles. You need to give them something that they care about. The same way that people don't necessarily just want to go to a skate park anymore. They don't just want to play board games. If you can get them out with the video game, but there's a good social message and actually something behind it, then you can then you can get the interest to them. Mm. You know what? It's a fantastic answer, but I I just I don't know about it. I don't yeah. know about it. Well, uh, but I agree with a lot of what you said. Yeah. You know because you you basically you know your answer was crafted around community. Yeah. Because that is really the thing that and I always waffle on about this on this podcast whenever I can relate something to it because I think in this whole um, rise of you know mental health epidemic, whatever it is, mm. it's, I believe, around the fact that we don't have as tight a community as we once would, you know? So, yeah. and, um, and community is great. So, you know, if you have, I'm really enjoying, like I said, the new climbing gym that I'm at and I've started to make some buddies down there. It's cool. Yep. I'm meeting new people. I have a weightlifting club that I'm a part of. Um, I may play football with my brother. I haven't played football in eight years, but he's playing this year and I, I like, I don't like the blokey bloke football environment, but I like just hanging out with people. Yeah. Um, so, community is huge and I understand that there would be a tight, strong community in gaming, but it's all, it just seems too virtual to me. Because, for example, if we've got, like, this is now, right? This is now the, the rise of esports. Mm. Where will it be in 10 or 15 years, you know? Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's gaining traction so rapidly and it's really about to explode and it is exploding, then I just feel like, it, I feel like it would be unstoppable. Really, I feel like esports and gaming in general will be unstoppable. It's like social media on steroids. Mm. But when we get to that point in 10 or 15 years, I just can't see that it could be a healthy... I, don't, I just think there's, there's so many issues. I mean, and all your answers have you know, steps that are going in the right direction. But I'm, just, I'm, very, I'm very much you know, sitting on the, the other side of the fence to you in, in I think whether it, it's a good or bad thing. I think it's important to, to see too the crossovers that the people who play games is not the only thing they do. So mm. the same way that you said that that you do the bouldering gym plus the weightlifting, mm-hmm. etc. So for me, I play games. I also do jiu-jitsu. And mm-hmm. I see a lot of crossovers there with the friendliness in jiu-jitsu and why yeah. it's a welcoming community because yeah. everyone's choking each other out. It's a very humbling sport, mm-hmm. similar, similar to esports. So you've got these different communities that happen. But there's also a lot of studies of crossover between certain video games and certain sports as well. So video game... Uh, players and esports fanatics are very likely to be fans of single or small team sports like golf mm-hmm. um, or um, basketball because for example with basketball it's, it's 5v5 on the court mm-hmm. similar to most esports and games are 4v4 5v5 6v6 gotcha. some are 2v2 whatever but you've got that similar small team aspect also you can shoot hoots by yourself the same way you can play games by yourself mm-hmm. so a lot of gamers they seem to like that small team atmosphere mm-hmm. and similar with me with my mates most of the time when we hang out there's not 15 20 of us on a footy trip for example mm-hmm. there's usually three to six of us hanging out because we can all have that talk and, and be part of that community yeah, well, yeah, again, I'm, I'm not trying to be negative about it. Yeah. I'm just trying to push back and play devil's advocate. Um, yeah, as I said, I really love tech. I just think there's a lot of issues with the rise of tech in our lives. So what would you say that your work is trying to do? Like, what are your, if you're, you know, going out and, and raising awareness and putting posters up um, all over Australia and all over the world, like, what are you trying to, what are, you said there's a feeling you mentioned before yeah, that the emotion, a, like, the emotion, the, the the fear that is always there and directed towards outsiders that 
there's a feeling that uh, we're the people that belong and the people that don't look like us are the people that don't belong. And us it, versus them. Yeah, and, and that's the simplest way of putting it. Obviously, you can look at it in a more nuanced way in that uh, the people who fit in with our society and obey our laws are the ones that fit in and the ones that don't. Uh, need to be excluded, but sometimes the the easiest way to identify to see those people is they look different, mm-hmm. um, and that's usually the way it gets uh, played out. And I just think Australians, I mean, I like to think of Australians as being very welcoming, and I think uh, we are. That's when we're, we're at our best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so addressing the fear and trying to, um, I guess. Just help uh, help people <laughs> not be as afraid and mm-hmm. to find their courage. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really what the post is trying to do on a sort of gut level, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, look, I have a real problem with nationalism. I think it's a silly concept. You know, I think the the us versus them that we naturally do as human beings is one of the worst things in our in our makeup. You know, we have to find uh, them, and we have to know who us are. You know, and I think. Um, I've mentioned this on the podcast before with uh, guests we've, we've brought it up, but I actually think it sounds silly and the listeners would have heard me talk about it before, but I actually think the best thing that could happen to us could, would be um, finding intelligent life in the, in the solar system or getting, um, having an asteroid hurtling towards us, Armageddon style, yeah. where we all have to band, band together, you know? But, they, um, but anyway, so um, I've lost my train of thought, thought, <laughs> thought there. But as you, can, you were just, as you can just smiling at the thought of an asteroid in here. <laughs> I was thinking of Bruce Willis. Solution. Um, yeah. yeah. But, um, but I think, yeah, I think nationalism is quite a silly concept, you know. I think that we all are, you know, we're all human beings and we should really help each other. But it isn't that simple. Um, mm. but, but Australia, so considering the fact that, you know, we have a very... Uh, very large nation and and um, and lots and lots of space and we are we do seem to you know portray that we're welcoming to to people and um, and outsiders as we would call them I guess but what are we at our worst you said at our best we are welcoming but what are we at our worst what is the you know what, what is the dark history and and where are we still at in in you know underlying racism and so forth well, I, I don't think Australians are any different to anyone else in that we have the capacity for bigotry and racism. I don't like. There's sort of there are silly ways to pass this up and try to declare, uh, you know, to ask questions like, "Is Australia a racist country?" Which mm-hmm. is kind of a stupid thing to say. I mean, all people have the capacity for racism mm-hmm. and bigotry, and Australia has a, a history that demonstrates that because all people are at a base level we're animals you know Mm -hmm. and we have uh that desire to just sort of to expel the other and to protect the in group Mm -hmm. um and yeah australia history shows that but um so i just think so but sorry i've just (laughs) dissolved the question (laughs) it's fine that's fine um i yeah i'm not sure the Making sort of grand statements about what Australia's identity is, it's it, it can be done in a negative way on both sides. Mm. To, to declare ourselves completely good and righteous is mm-hmm. just as uh, false as to say, well, there are these impurities in our history when Australians have done terrible things. Therefore, the entire Australian project, just throw it out, mm-hmm. knock down the border, 
Um, <laughs> you know, it it only leaves get the, on a boat, go back to England. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's that it is uh, it's nonsense, really. Yeah, and um, it's not it's not a thing that we could do. No, and it and it's sort of it's motivated by a kind of childish desire for perfection and, mm-hmm. and impurity, mm-hmm. uh, which has all kinds of uh, negative manifestations. So I think uh, what I try to do with all my posts is is find some sort of uh, negotiated compromise, and that's true in say my Aussie posters, which is, features a a Muslim man who lived, worked, and died in Australia. Uh, but the declaration at the bottom of the poster is Aussie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, the vast majority of the people that like the posters are people that see it as, yes, we'll make this, uh, we'll be welcoming to the people that uh, others want to exclude. But there are also people that dislike the poster because it's saying, it's using nationalism in an aspirational way, saying, mm-hmm. well, why should we want to belong to... Uh, this thing called Australia because it's inherently corrupt because of this history we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, what I try to do with all my projects is is piss off the people on, on both extremes. And once you're sort of getting criticised by the, the Puritans on both sides of the debate, uh, that, that's when I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Um, <laughs> because that's... It's sort of... You... If you do things in the right way, you those people, uh, you know, the the extremists, um, they expose themselves. They make mm-hmm. themselves look silly by saying they're absurd arguments. And the people in the middle, all they have to do is just look at what's happening and go, "Oh, right, there are assholes on both sides." Mm-hmm. I think I'll meet everyone else in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's what I try to do. <clears throat> Interesting. When you are bulimic and you're, you know, thirty-seven kilograms, mm-hmm. and you've been in that. Um, in that state of mind for 12 months or 18 mm. months or whatever you said and you sit down with the nutritionist how tough is it to understand what you're the position that you're in is it is mm. it like denial uh, and like how hard is it to pull yourself you know pull yourself back to a healthy lifestyle was it a real yeah it's it's thing? it's a real denial because you know she would say who do, like what celebrity do you think you look like mm-hmm. and I'd say you know maybe I was like oh Eva Longaria she's like you're kidding. Like mm. you're, you look like a stick figure. Like yeah. you look like a lollipop. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was like, no, like I'm definitely her size. And then she would, she would kind of put into reality what I actually was. And, um, and yeah, it took a long time to feel like that was true. Yeah. Um, but then she would, she would kind of give me tasks to do each week. Like, you know, this week you need to eat, a pancake or like uh, something that I feared to eat. Yep. She was like, this week you need Chocolate to eat bar. a fear food. Yeah. yeah. And then I would come back the next week <clears throat> and she would weigh me and she'd be like, you know, you're the same weight or you even lost like 500 grams. Like, yeah. so you, the thing that you were scared to eat doesn't make you balloon and yeah. all of a sudden become fat. Like it's yeah. nothing. It doesn't make you change as a person. You're still you. Mm-hmm. You don't, you can't blame the food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, it's funny how um, how we view ourselves or the like. I, I I've always been a healthy eater, and I've never mm. had any issues with um, with yeah uh, um, eating disorders. But I, it's funny. I 
for sure had at least some form of body dysmorphia growing up to a degree. Mm. Um, not trying to like get in on No, no. <laughs> but, um, I'm sure that like, I mean, I feel like 98% of the yeah, world does like, yeah, for sure. at some point. Well, what I would do as a kid, I would, this is probably like 15 years old to probably, I reckon 22, 20, 22. I would, um, I would go into the bathroom like five times a day and and sit and stand on the scales or like I'd mm. go to the I'd go to the bathroom like wash my hands or mm. like have a shower I wasn't really like making direct trips to go to the bathroom maybe yeah. I was I can't really remember but I reckon five times a day I would get on the scales yeah. to see what I weighed because for me it was the other way around because guys want to be like big and Muscular, strong and tough yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, um, and I think it for me it was just like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone movies growing up and I was yeah. like okay cool if you want to be successful and like have a happy live happily ever after with the woman who gyms you have to be big and muscly and strong mm, mm. um and i it never really went anywhere for me but to weigh yourself five times a day and hope that you're putting on like mm. and be stoked if you're putting on 200 grams is not healthy yeah no, you know no I mean? and that's yeah. not possible you yeah. can't do that in a day <laughs> that's right. yeah that's right so it's funny um yeah how the mind yeah. plays tricks on us so how long was the whole process of getting to back to when did when did when was the point where you would say to yourself, "All right, cool, I I'm, feel like I'm healthy again." Yeah, so I saw that nutritionist for about a year, seeing her twice a week physically, yep. and then emailing her every day. Oh, that's uh, a lot. It took that's a heavy, lot. Yeah, heavy, like heavy work. It, at any point that I had a meal, I had to email her because <laughs> I was so anxious about what I just ate. Really? Yeah, oh, like right. it was struggle, and she would email ah. within like two hours easily and then just help me yeah she was the savior um so after about a year I was like okay I feel like I'm on the right foot I'd put on a like a bit of weight Mm -hmm. um I was still skinny but yeah it was uncomfortable for me but I sat with it and I was okay um so then I started to like look more into um the reasons why I want to be getting bigger or like put on weight because um originally my hair started all falling out and just because lack of proteins and lack of things and my nails were shedding and my skin was dry and I grew like this little fur layer over my whole body (laughs) yeah it's like the coping mechanism of being like skinny yeah like to stay warm um and so is that what your body does yeah your body that goes into shock and because you don't have Fat and muscle to keep yourself warm. Yeah. Keep your bones warm, really. It you start to, to grow hair. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Just that like fur. Insane. Like it's a soft little fur. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. Jeez, the human body's switching. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, okay. um, so I wanted to, so one of the things my nutritionist was like, what, what do you want to do? And I, or when was your happiest moments? And mm-hmm. I was like, my happiest time was when I was pole dancing. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, you know, in order to pole dance, you need to build muscle, which means you need to eat proteins and fats and things like that. And I was just like, okay, okay. So I have to like focus on like, I want to pole dance, therefore I need to eat this and this and this, or I want my hair to grow back, therefore I need to eat this and this. So I I needed to focus on that end goal um, that kept me going. Yeah. Because otherwise it was like, well, what am I putting on weight for? Yeah, you had like a performance-based... Well, I suppose with the pole dancing stuff. Not a performance, but like, uh, yeah, that makes sense. You had tangible goals of things that you wanted to achieve rather than just you want to eat so you put on weight, which is something that you've always felt 
the opposite yeah exactly like i never wanted to eat to put on weight but yeah. i wanted to eat to be able to have the strength to pole dance yeah 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 oh that's great it's lucky you had pole dancing then yeah yeah really, it was to yeah it was great anchor yourself off yeah in terms of a goal and yeah and, and what have you um so what is um <clears throat> what is i guess what does health and fitness look like to you now as a general mm. sense you know you seem very upbeat and healthy and, yes. and happy right now <laughs> Yeah. Um, what is, you know, what is your, is it still uh, an ongoing struggle? Do you ever have tough times so, and, and how do you stay on top of everything? Yeah. So through, so after I, I had that phase and I felt okay, then I got into competitive pole dancing and I was good for a while until I felt like I was not doing it for me anymore. And I was yeah. traveling the world. Like I traveled the whole world teaching classes yeah. and, um, it got to a stage where I was like, I don't want to travel. But I was like overseas and I just felt like a caged monkey where it was like I'd arrive somewhere, I'd teach my classes or I'd do a performance that they wanted me to do and then mm-hmm. I'd go back to the hotel room and the next day they'd pick me up at this time and I'd teach my classes. And I was like, I literally feel like a dance monkey. Like yeah. go out, they? do your thing. Uh, just you like studios whoever around the world. You, yeah, whoever was hosting me. Yeah, like okay, cool. they're beautiful people and like I got to see a lot of the world and mm-hmm. they showed me around mm-hmm. but like... I didn't... It wasn't good for you. Yeah, I didn't feel like for me I needed to do that stuff. Um, so I there was one point where I used to use my travel as an excuse to not eat because I was in different places or I was transiting. So I would just starve myself again. Yeah. And so it, I had another episode of low weight um, a few years ago, maybe four years ago, when I dropped again to about 40 kilos. Yeah. Um, and that's when I was like this means I'm not in a happy place. I'm Mm, not doing something mm. that I want to do. So I decided to like say no to a lot more teaching opportunities. Um, And I was like, I just want to focus on me again. Um, And then I found my, like I met my boyfriend and like I've, we've bought a house together and now I I feel happy and I feel like I don't have to prove my pole dancing or my worth to anyone else. Like I feel grounded and good. So now I focus a lot more on my um, my mental health and like my intuitive eating. Like I read a lot of books on like the anti diet, the the um, and I listen to a lot of podcasts about women's health and mm-hmm. anti dieting culture and things like that. What is so anti dieting, man? Anti dieting <laughs> is like getting rid of the rules that everyone's ever instilled into you. Yeah. So things like you can only eat three meals a day. You can. Mm-hmm can only eat this many calories a day. You can, um, eat, eat, yeah, eat this, but not those things. (laughs) Like just get rid of all the rules and just like eat when you feel hungry and eat whatever you want when you feel hungry. Yeah, It's funny how many ways there are out there to eat though. Yeah. Like you listen to one, like the game changers, for example. Yeah. I haven't even watched that documentary. Yeah. But I fucking know exactly what's what going on in about. the yeah, in the, like the <laughs> argument versus this side versus that side. Yeah. And everybody's talking about it. And it you know, there's so many different ways to um to eat. Jordan Peterson, do you know Jordan Peterson? No. Uh he's a he's a um he's an author slash um he's a university lecturer slash author. He he basically he's a real smart dude yeah. who went on Joe Rogan's podcast one time and then blew up and became a worldwide phenomenon who yeah. travels the world. Telling, he's basically like a new age philosopher. Yes. Yeah. And it was all because of Joe Rogan's podcast. It's right, funny. Right. Yeah, yeah. But but Jordan Peterson's um he's written a couple of books uh, in the last couple of years. He's quite good to listen to. Um, but 
the carnivore diet, like the meat only diet. Yeah. He um he eats meat with salt on it three times a day. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like it's just a slab of steak with with Whoa. a little bit of salt on. It. And because he's so popular, everybody's like, "Oh my god, the meat eat the carnivore yeah. diet is the new rage." And blah blah. It's just um, I don't think we actually know anything about anything. No. I think yeah, I think and it's all. It's so funny because like yeah. as a kid, they're so intuitive. Like they eat when they're hungry, they stop yeah. when they're full. Mm-hmm. But like just growing up, you just start to in, like ingrain all these little like habits or like rules regulations finish your plate before you can have dessert yeah. uh, like just so many things that you don't think are gonna play a role in the mind but mm. they all have impact and, oh yeah yeah and then you start to become more strict and more strict and then next minute you're you're really struggling with knowing what to eat when to eat and why yeah. why you're eating <laughs> yeah for sure i think um yeah i think most people should be able to find a really nice uh, i think if you're eating relatively good food unprocessed food and you just eat whenever you feel hungry then you should basically win the game yeah you know i I know for a fact myself when i'm training i try and eat a lot you know because i've got a fast metabolism so to be a weightlifter i always have to overeat yeah much more than what i would normally normally would to start to stay big enough for my weight category yeah because i'm yeah it's it's yeah so um but even like um, when I'm not really training super hard or in the past, like I eat way too much food. I don't yeah. need to eat the amount of food, but I've always been the opposite of you. Yeah. I've always been like, oh, I need to eat lots of food to be big and strong. I remember um, when I was younger, I I um, had a coach and I went and did, I was doing CrossFit for about two or three years there. I was competing and all that stuff, just like local competitions. Yeah. And I remember I went to this competition and um, wasn't strong enough in a couple of the events. Like I just, it was like, I could do all these skills in like the, second third and fourth stage but the first and second stage it was like a strength element and i couldn't pass it yeah and i came back from that competition i said to my coach i was like 25 yeah. i'm 33 now and i said to my coach um i was like hey mate um i'm never going to a competition again and not being strong enough to do something and he goes all right i said what do we need to do and then so he changed the programming because i had like i'll do his cl- other classes but i had my own programming on top yeah, yeah. and he told me um <clears throat> he told me he gave me the program and he's like, all right, cool. What's your diet like? And I said, oh, I eat this, this, and this. He goes, okay, I want you to eat sweet potato with every meal. I'm like, yeah, okay. He goes, and are you lactose intolerant? And I said, no. Nah. He goes, drink as much milk as you can drink in a day, every day. And I was like, yeah, wow. I can drink a lot of milk. He yeah. goes, do it. Do then. it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I reckon for the next nine to 12 months, nah, probably six to nine months, yeah. I drank three to five liters of milk every oh. day. God. Yeah. And you know oh what? Oh my God. I still drink about a liter of milk every day. <laughs> really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just because I'm like, I'm ingrained. It's ingrained in me to be like extra calories, need to be big and strong, yeah. need to keep your weight on, whatever. I drink fucking heaps of milk. So I've probably got to be, I've probably got the opposite problem you have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> you should keep be eating, eating. Keep <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, it's, um, it's so funny. And I don't need to eat that much. Like when I don't eat, when I eat half of what I eat, Normally, I'm perfectly fine. Yeah. You know, it's probably yeah. better for the body because I don't yeah. have to process um, as much food and it's not working as hard all the time. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think the biggest thing about like having a starvation <laughs> mind is like you're always judging the other people's food as well. Yeah. Like you're like, how are they eating so much and they're yeah. like this and blah, blah, blah. Or like, yeah. how can they eat so much and why can't I eat so much? And yeah, you're just always judgmental of mm. other people. So mm. I used to find it hard to watch someone eat less than me. That meant I had to eat less than them. Because <laughs> yeah, it's like I was a like, yeah, it was always a competition <laughs> with the food. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. But when I met my boyfriend and he trains a lot, like he does marathons and yep. um, 
triathlons and he just eats everything in the house and I'm yeah. like, okay, good. <laughs> like, I don't feel bad about now eating all everything <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah, that's good. Alrighty, guys. If you enjoyed that show, please subscribe. If you're listening on an audio device, then you can subscribe there. Um, you can also head over to um, Bill Kerr TV at YouTube and you can subscribe to the channel there for all the video um, highlights of the show. And also, don't forget to support our sponsors. Our sponsors are trueprotein.com.au. Use the code BRO for 10% off. Head to, for the best coolers in town and drinkware and outdoor outdoor gear, head to yeti.com.au forward slash bro. And lastly, don't forget to check out athena.co, A-T-H-Y-N-A, Athena with a Y, athena.co. If you want 20 hours of free virtual assistant services, head over and check us out. See you next week.